King Jimmy is gone. Long live King Sharon. Next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Waits for it. Yes, Brady gets terrific. Turns it and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Collinger at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue! I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to a historic episode of Michigan Podcast. As we have, as many suspected would be the case, a new head football coach at the winningest program of all time on the heels of its 12th national championship, Sharon Moore has become the 21st head coach in Michigan's illustrious football history, taking over for Jim Harbaugh, who went off to the NFL for reasons... That he explained very simply, I can't win a Lombardi trophy at Michigan. So he's going to try to do something that has only been done by three other men in the history of this sport. Win a national championship and a Super Bowl. Pete Carroll, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer. They're the only three that have done it. Jim Harbaugh will now attempt to be the fourth with the Los Angeles, don't call us San Diego, Superchargers. So what does it all mean? Let's take a big picture look here to open things up. And, and let's look at things from both a past, a present, <clears throat> and a future perspective, all right? Let's, let's start with the past. When Jimmy was hired at Michigan 3,313 days ago, that's how long he was our football coach, if I would have told you he'd win three Big Ten titles and a national championship in nine seasons before going back to the NFL, we all would have taken that outcome on the spot. And that's what we got. Remember, when he took over, Ohio State was coming off a national championship, operating at its peak. Sparty 
was having its greatest run since Duffy Doherty, the guy whose foot name is on the football building there. Meanwhile, Michigan had just one top 10 finish in the decade before Jimmy arrived, and that was in 2006. Yes, it, it took longer to realize our hopes in Jimmy than we thought, than he thought. Yes, if he was anyone other than the most decorated quarterback in school history, he probably would have been fired in 2020. But the final results speak for themselves. Jimmy leaves on the heels of likely the greatest three-year run in program history. And given this program's great history, that is certainly saying something. He's a legend. Build a statue. Maybe the greatest Wolverine ever. Don't be sad it's over, but joyful it happened. However, we knew the entire time Jimmy's heart wasn't just at Michigan. NFL rumors constantly swirled. Three years ago, he even said his goodbyes and thought he was taking the Vikings job on freaking National Signing Day. He was a yard away from beating his brother in a Super Bowl, after all. And given the legendary competitiveness in this family, that's probably something that's come up a time or two at family gatherings. He fulfilled his mission here. He takes over a franchise he played for, who was one of the who has who has one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. So we should wish him nothing but the best. And that brings us to the present. I don't believe there's anything Michigan could have could have offered to keep Jimmy. I think there's some residual distrust and animosity between Jimmy and A.D. Ward Manuel over how things were handled in 2020. And I think that's been leaking through some sources here in the last week or so. But if you're taking job interviews, National Signing Day in 2021, you're taking meetings with the Broncos owners after you recommit to Michigan in 2022. And you're telling Michigan in advance you won't sign a new deal until all other NFL jobs are filled in 2023. Let's call a spade a spade here, man. I, I'm not a huge Ward Manual guy. I've got my issues with him. Probably talk about some of those later. Mel Pearson was a, that disaster with what happened with him during COVID. Juwan Howard is a disaster. NIL should have been a layup for a school of Michigan's resources. Instead, it's been turned into a disaster. But the math here with Jimmy, I think, is pretty simple when you remove the personalities and egos. Jimmy has two football dreams. He accomplished one and wants to take one more shot at the other. I don't think it matters how late Michigan may have truly met all his conditions, as some have said. It, even if it came at the last minute, it is still easier to take Michigan's deal and stay home than relocate your entire family half a continent away. He just wants to go. He leaves behind perhaps the best culture in college football and a defense that, if Michigan can retain these guys, Features numerous players who could be preseason All-Americans. Mason Graham, Will Johnson, Kenneth Grant, Rod Moore. There have been four pillars to Michigan's football transformation these last few years. We've had different quarterbacks. We've had different players lead and star. But the constants are Jimmy, the Ravens defensive coordinators, Sharon Moore, and Ben Herbert. They've been the cornerstones. Jimmy is gone. Jesse Minter, Minter to me, was always gone. And we almost lost him to the Eagles last year. And he's likely going with Jimmy to L.A. or maybe to Baltimore back home uh, to John Harbaugh. Sharon, rightly named head coach, his first assignment was to retain Ben Herbert at all costs, which unfortunately, because Jimmy wanted him, he was unable to do. And that brings us to the future. I know this will seem contrarian, but if there was ever an ideal time for Jimmy to leave, it's now. Now, let, let me say up front, of course, you don't ever want a coach this good to go, but all good things must come to an end, Jean-Luc. Nothing this side of eternity lasts forever. 
if Jimmy was ever going to go, it is ideal he do it now for one big reason. Because we have Sharon Moore. His presence likely helps Michigan avoid two potential calamities. Number one, a coaching search that risks coming, that risks coming up with someone that doesn't immediately benefit from a unified Michigan. And number two, a plethora of current players hitting the transfer portal looking to upgrade, thus wrecking your roster. Sharon has grown alongside this program. He mastered the unit that is the foundation of the program's identity, the offensive line. He then became OC. He's also the only head coach we could hire that already comes with the most important proof of concept. He's already beaten Ohio State as Michigan's head coach. No one else on earth we could, we could replace Jimmy with could make that claim. <clears throat> That's not to say he's a guarantee. Those don't exist anyway. I'm confident he can be successful here, though, for one simple reason. It's in everybody's best interest that he do so. Allow me to use an example. In another life, I covered Iowa State athletics professionally. It once hired a formerly great player with no coaching experience at all to take over its popular hoops program. Now, even without that experience, I knew Fred Hoiberg would be successful. Why? Because he's such a beloved figure, the infrastructure would work hard to make it so. Nobody wanted to fail arguably the best player in school history. And Fred was so successful at Iowa State, he was eventually hired as an NBA head coach. Similarly, Sharon loves Michigan, and Sharon has earned Michigan's love too. Ask Rich Rodriguez. That's half the battle right there. Everyone's going to be rowing in the same direction with Sharon from day one. Everyone is united behind him from the jump. Furthermore, he's the school's first black head coach. And given the political and academic culture of the university, that's another reason all of the significant infrastructure Michigan brings to the battle will do what it can to support him. There is literally no one else Michigan could hire with Sharon's resume, combined with relational and internal advantages. If somehow he's not successful here, which would surprise me, but it could happen, it will be for no other reason than he just couldn't do the job. Plus, college football's paradigm is drastically changing, and it's time for a new breed of coaches to ascend who's going to change with it. This is going to require even more aggressive recruiting than sleepovers and climbing trees. This is going to require ruthless levels of energy. Without the Jimmy Crutch, Michigan's going to be forced to up its NIL game now. But even if it administratively remains silent, the NCAA is probably going to introduce a formal pay-for-play system by the end of this year. Conference consolidation is also here. The playoff is expanding. This is about to be a dramatically different sport than it ever was. It is time for, therefore, a new generation that aligns with those challenges to take them on. Sharon Sharon represents that, but first he has to fill out his staff. After the aforementioned Herbert, who it's too late for now, I'm calling either Deonton Lynn or Jim Leonard to take over the defense. You need someone there that's ready to own that side of the ball from day one that will command respect from the veterans because the offense is looking at a complete rebuild. And in 2025, we must finally finish with a recruiting class worthy of our current level of on-field success. No more NIL excuses, no more negative recruiting via Jimmy to the NFL. Recruiting must improve. In closing, though, I'm excited about this change because I'm fulfilled. We just want a freaking natty, folks. I've been a Wolverine for 41 years. I've lived through a lot of nine-win seasons that were meaningless, except to add to the winningest team-of-all-time trope. 
I cannot thank Jimmy enough for the memories, all of which I got to share with my son, and that's what this is really all about. But now it's time to make some new memories. So let the Sharon Moore era begin. Well, those are my thoughts. Let's find out what Mark Rogers thinks next. Well, let us grab another perspective from perhaps the world's one and only reasonable bucknut. Although I have to tell you, with each beating at the hands of Michigan, he's getting a little bit less reasonable. But I I have empathy. I went through 20 years of this. Mark Rogers is here with us, who, when he's not melting down at losing to Michigan, has a pretty good college football channel. (laughs) Check out the voice of college football. Great information year-round. Uh, with stringers and correspondents uh, from uh, all over the country covering the sport from top to bottom. You can't beat it right here on YouTube. Good to see you again, Mark. Thank you for joining us. And let's just get right to it. Uh, I think a pretty anticlimactic hire uh, with the hiring of Sharon Moore as head coach. So what's what's the viewpoint here? Now I guess we've got uh, born on third and credited with a triple versus born on third and credited with a triple. And we'll see who can bring it home, right? There we are. Yes. <laughs> Yes, who can steal home? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am overjoyed for all my Michigan friends because this is just is uh, a celebrated hire. I see very few people. I see no one outside of Buckeye Nation taking away from this hire in any way. Everyone seems to be on board with it. Uh, the obvious one possible downfall is a lack of head coaching experience, but... We've routinely seen uh, guys with the same lack of experience as a head coach take over prominent Blue Blood programs and succeed. Brian Day, Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, we can go on down the line. So um, that doesn't seem to be a concern. If you hire the right guy and you truly believe in who he is and his ability to – drive a program, lead a program, communicate with people, communicate with the various levels of people that need to be uh, relatable to him and all of those other things. And of course has the football acumen and is a uh, detail freak. That is typically, uh, it seems to be a requirement for a successful college football coach. Then you hire the right guy and you don't worry about the lack of experience. And then this is an extremely unique situation that I'm sure you detailed much better than I could in any way. Just a unique situation in in wanting to uh, maintain that culture, trying to maintain the magic of what Jimmy built. Did I just say Jimmy? You did. And I've been I, I read way too many of your tweets just now, getting <laughs> familiar with uh, you, you, which you laid out a very oh, good. I, I, sorry, I was uh, about to welcome you to our side, but keep going. Yes, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Let's not do that. We'd have to lose 18 in a row, but we're on our way. Uh, So, yes, I just think that this is a unique situation in which uh, you always want to maintain a winning culture. And so all the other places that I just mentioned were winning under those previous coaches when it was handed off from an Urban Meyer or a Bob Stoops or a Mark Rick. But this is just different in, in a certain way. Uh, that you want to maintain that culture as, as much as possible. And I don't believe in giving in to the players. We hear this all the time. Right. I agree. Players, players love to that coach. I and call so it the Bobby Williams rule. Every time the, the players yeah. go down to the AD's office and say, make this guy our coach, I can't think of a time that that ever actually has worked out. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, just because, sure, you want to listen to the players, give them their time, make them feel valued, that you're listening to them, but you don't let 18 and 19-year-olds decide who the next head coach is going to be just because they like a guy. Uh, so I never believed in that. But um, I'm, I'm sure that this team is behind Sharon Moore, and that just adds another, you know, 17th point to a reason why you keep him in-house and you keep this thing going. I, I think there's a, a couple of things at play here that I, I also think tie into the, the current era of college football. I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of programs when a coach moves on. You know, right now you mentioned, you know, Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer. You know, Bob Stoops just retired. Urban Meyer, we think, just retired. I mean, he's rumored for every job, but he's not. Uh, he you know went to the NFL, but he wasn't coaching in college football again. So in each of those cases, the, 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 the new guy wasn't competing with the guy who left for staff, right? Not to mention Bob Stoops, remember, he waited, not coincidentally, until he got that, I think, longevity bonus on June 1 and then decided he was going to retire if memory serves. All right. So June, you're not, no one's leaving in June anyway. I mean, we're a month away from, you know, meet college, you know, conference media days. Uh, you know, Ryan Day didn't have to compete with Urban Meyer for staff right away. At Michigan, when we had the Bo legacy carry on with Gary Moeller and then Lloyd Carr, and in both of those cases, Bo went to Major League Baseball running the Tigers. Uh, Gary Moeller was out of coaching for a couple of years, trying to had to rebuild his reputation after the, what happened that led to his dismissal. So again, in each of those cases, either Moeller for Bo or Lloyd for for Mo didn't have to compete with the outgoing coach for staff. In this case, Sharon Moore does have to, you know, and you've seen him already lose a couple of battles, like with. He was who, Jim Harbaugh was going to lose the Jesse Minner battle this year. Jesse Minner was gone, uh, even if Jimmy returned. He was heading to the NFL. Now, ironically, what you might see is you might see a Jim-John Harbaugh uh, bidding war for Jesse Minner now, with Mike McDonald likely to get the, the commander's job. Maybe the two brothers now get in a bidding war for uh, the defensive coordinator. But he, the, the Eagles were dumb. They, they should have hired uh, Jesse Minner for defensive coordinator last year. Ended up with Matt Patricia instead. We saw how that worked out. But he clearly lost a battle for Ben Herbert, who along with Sharon, if you look at the two coaches that when Jimmy reinvented this culture that he really relied on uh, to, to, in, to input that culture of both, you know, love but toughness, those two guys were Ben Herbert and Sharon Moore. Uh, they were really the tent poles of that, of that culture that you've seen play out on the field. And, and so that's a huge loss for him. But the, the one thing that I think that Sharon has, that you, that you had to kind of hire Sharon, is the transfer portal also are all things, all those other areas or eras of new guys you mentioned didn't have to deal with. And I think you look at what happened with Alabama, 21 players went into the transfer portal. Now, they were able to replenish some of those guys. Uh, Washington's roster is pretty decimated. I mean, the, you know, the team they're going to try it out for spring ball in the first year under Jed Fish is nothing like the team we played in the national championship game. And at Michigan, we just academically, uh, to our own detriment, I, I can't see us ever finding you know, a year where we're, our administration is going to let us bring 15, 20 guys from the transfer portal in. And so I, I think you're going to see teams moving forward, Mark, that if the coach just moves on and they were successful on some level, I'll bet you every single one of them will hire from within to avoid what just happened to Alabama, where that you're, half your recruiting class and, and 20 players are in the transfer portal. And it's because of the way the calendar lines up. With the, where the, unless they move these dates around, and I don't know how you move the transfer portal dates around given you have to line it up with the, the, 
admissions calendar, okay? Maybe you can get rid of the early signing period and just go to one signing period again in February for recruits, fine. But given those realities, I'll bet you moving forward, major top Power Four conference teams are not hiring if, if, the, if the program is on any level of solid ground. When, when the coach is gone, I'll bet you they, they hire with from within, trying to keep as much of their roster as possible, and it's only going to be teams that are firing a coach for underperformance that you're going to see go out, go out from underneath that because they're in a position where they don't necessarily or they're not necessarily concerned about maintaining a roster that already wasn't successful. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a great point. Uh, I have made it a habit to check the transfer portal three or four times a day, and of course with uh, this. Nick Saban domino effect is basically what it is. He retires and basically four job openings have been affected by that one retirement. And we've seen just a mass exodus, Alabama, Washington, then Arizona to a certain extent, and even San Jose State players leaving uh, based on that domino effect. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the Michigan uh, train to leave to a certain extent. I figured some guys would leave, but... Um, they retain Sharon Moore and they also, I think it's a bit skewed because of the number of players moving on to the NFL and the number of players that shoot, you're looking at 22 draft eligible players. Not all will be drafted, but you can make a case that any one of the 22 can be drafted. I mean, there's four, there's 14 guys that started at least four games on offense the last two seasons that are gone. So if you're one of those younger players on offense, especially you're like, I'm, I got to, I can compete for a starting spot. I'm going to stay. But if you're one of those top-tier defensive guys that there'd be a huge market for, a Mason Graham, a Kenneth Grant, you also now, you know, Jimmy took so long taking this job, you're up against academic calendars now. You're, you're past drop dates at a lot of universities. You're past a lot of, you know, dates where you could actually enroll in a school. And and so now you're you're probably going to have to stick it out through spring and, and see what Sharon Moore comes up with at this point. Once the guy won those three games at the end of the season, and I even want to focus more on what he must have proven between the time when the three coordinators were given the first three games of the season, what made him the selection. And you talk about Jess Minter, there's obviously a lot of respect, and he's got a lot of clout. And for Sharon Moore to have been the guy that they select for the three most difficult games of the season to close it out. So whatever he's got, whatever he's done, handling offensive coordinator position and the offensive line. He's won two Joe Moore awards. And then on top of that, he fashions, even though it doesn't get a lot of credit, a fifth-rated pass efficiency uh, offense on the pass side to supplement what was still a strong run game but not as dominant as as the two previous years. The guy did an outstanding job. And uh, I really have no detractions from the hire other than he's inexperienced which that has been stated already in terms of our many examples of how that has worked out in other cases so um, that is something I would have valued years ago but it's been proven that you can get past that if you hire the right guy and then also I'm going to bring it up even though I get blasted for this every time I bring it up I would want him to act a little bit more with some decorum as a uh, head coach of a major college football program after the Penn State game. So I brought that up. I'm not making a big deal out of it. I want to make that very clear to people who have said, 
you make too much of a big deal out of it after I clearly stated, I know it's not a big deal. I'm just reviewing the guy's resume and everything I see out of him. And I just have to bring it up as something that I would I would like to see a little bit more composure out of the guy. And I understand it was a, uh, an adverse situation and all of that, a challenging situation. But still, uh, I just thought I was a little bit unhinged myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you would view it as unhinged. As a Michigan fan, I kind of viewed it empathetically. But I do agree overall. You don't want your head coach behaving like that on a consistent basis. I think that was kind of a one-off. He literally found out an hour before the game. I mean, they, they really believed they were going to get that temporary restraining order. Everything was being prepped that Jim was going to coach or Jimmy was going to coach that game, you know. And so all that emotion and everything gets built up. You're in what I think is likely the toughest road environment in our league. Uh, typically on the road at Penn State. It's certainly among those uh, environments. Um, And I think that had a lot to do with what you saw. And you didn't see that after Ohio State, for example, after that game. But but I I, I want to operate in grace. Yes, grace and empathy to understand I'm not in that man's shoes. Uh, And it was a unique and overwhelming situation, obviously. But then again, I'm here to evaluate. So that's just my thought about what I would not want to see uh, more than once. All right, give me some things that then, because you mentioned, you know, other than Buckeye fans, it's a hire that's been pretty uh, affirmed. And, and I don't think there's anybody Michigan could have hired that Buckeye fan, and by and large, would have been like, oh, I think that's a really great hire. I think we're we're in trouble. I, that, I don't think that would have happened, okay? So, I mean, it's funny. You guys went from let's give Jim Harbaugh a lifetime contract to literally we're holding candlelight vigils following, you know, the NFL hiring process, begging for him to get tired. That's that's always funny how that works out. But I've heard from Ohio State fans that say I would have liked to have seen him stick around so we could have beaten him again. Didn't want to see him go off with three losses. I can receive a winning uh, regardless of of the mentality differences between the two fan bases. There is much more of an optimistic approach and mindset from the Ohio State fan base. This is my experience than the Michigan fan base. Michigan just won a national championship. They've owned the league for three years. And I hear from Michigan fans every day that are basically conceding that Sharon Moore is a great hire. Uh, We're not recruiting that well. Hopefully he can bring that back to where it should be. And of course, without Harbaugh hanging the NFL cloud over us every off season, we can clean up recruiting and let's hope we can have a nine and three season. And then we'll continue on from there. You know, there's still that mentality that doesn't exist. You are correct. You are right about that. And and I can, I can tell you why that is. If you're curious, I can tell you why that is. It is, it is, it is because there is to this day, a faction of Michigan academia that views our athletic success in sports other than rowing or softball or lacrosse as kind of unseemly. And there's always a sense, therefore, with this residual, like Michigan fans were stunned to see Michigan go all in to defend Harbaugh against that Big Ten suspension. Just not the way... Ohio State has, would, would behave that way. Michigan just never has. And then you could kind of see Michigan's heart wasn't in it. Like, the minute they couldn't get it done right away, they just gave up. They actually, like, didn't go back to court, okay, and, and, and actually have the hearing. They just quit, get, gave up, all right? Because it was kind of, all right, we'll try this whole, you know, you know, solidarity thing. And then when there wasn't, like, instant, you know, gratification and reward, they quit, you know? Um, 
for the Michigan fan, there is always the fear that our own administration is going to nuke us. And so when, when you are, when you're a Michigan fan, you're unevenly yoked with your own school. That's before we even get into the, the political views of the university and the fan base, you know, before we even get into that kind of stuff, you're just unevenly yoked because you already care more about the team than most of the administration does. I mean, our previous president, Mark Schlissel, tried to cancel the college football season. Did everything could to cancel the 2020 season. If Jim Harbaugh, if, if he was president here <clears throat> when the sign gate state stuff came out, he would have he would have um, a death penalty the program. Uh, we're, we're above all this here. I, I mean, and so we're we're constantly. When's our administration F us? When do they knife us? When do they screw us? All right. I mean, when, when do we just make some hire because they don't want to do a coaching search? And, uh, um, you know, I mean, we live under that constantly. And so there is always a fear that at some point we're going to do something to hurt ourselves just because. That's why. That's where that comes from. When I see what Sharon Moore accomplished, and again, we can argue, uh, as I did many times this last couple of weeks, uh, whether that was a more impressive uh, or more, it, it was certainly more impressive than what Ryan Day took from Urban Meyer. But of course, Ryan Day had to coach the team for three consecutive weeks, day after day after day after day, that um, Michigan fans should not uh, stand for anything less than continued domination in this league, a tougher league, albeit, and Ohio State is sure gearing up to do their best to, to gun for the number one spot, as they always do, but certainly putting their money where their mouth is here. Uh, but uh, Michigan, with that foundation of uh, the offensive and defensive line play, Sharon Moore, uh, regardless of losses, uh, I think... Um, man, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with in this whole mentality that Ohio State's going to walk away with the Big Ten that I hear from certain people, even outside of Ohio State camp, and uh, that these uh, there's going to be an onslaught from the West Coast. I, I don't believe that. We'll see. I think that with Sharon, um, he doesn't come with the, the network that, that, that a Harbaugh does, and they'll help him. But, you know, they're going to help themselves first, as you just saw with Jimmy and Ben Herbert. Right. OK, so, yeah, they'll help. They'll help their little brother here a little bit. That's kind of the that's how Jimmy looks at Sharon. But dude's going to make sure his own uh, his own team is taken care of first. Um, you were we're not going to get recruits on the on, on the reputation of Jim Harbaugh and with Ben Harp, Ben Herbert's reputation of player development now. And the school has been very hesitant to be aggressive in the uh, in the NIL arena. And get into that area uh, that, that, you know, you're seeing Ohio State, for example, do right now, which is crank this thing up. We're tired of losing. And so I think, again, that's where there is concern is there's right now there's administrative unity behind Sharon. But will there be administrative inf- um, uh, enforcement behind him? Will, will it give him the resources it clearly needs that he'll clearly need to be successful? That maybe you kind of thought, I don't have to do some of these things when Jim Harbaugh is our coach, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, Harbaugh was bringing in roughly top 15 <clears throat> recruiting classes. Sharon Moore is definitely going to maintain that. Uh, it's more about the transfer portal. And from a Michigan standpoint, not necessarily the big money transfers, but continue to spot the right fits for what the team needs and what the culture requires. And they've made 
perfect hits in the transfer portal for these two or three cycles, and that's going to be key to continue this. Great stuff, Mark. Thank you, as always, brother. Take care. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, Twitter poll question this week. What one word best describes what you think about the hiring of Sharon Moore to replace Jimmy as Michigan football coach? 43% of you said excited. 39% of you said acceptable. 18% of you said concern. Our feedback of the week from Van Ebert. I see the jealous haters are out in the comments now. Their tears as they try to cope by posting moronic comments are delusional. Congrats to Coach Moore. More Ohio ass whoopings to come. From your lips to the football gods' ears, fan. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review, whether you're watching here on YouTube or perhaps listening on iTunes or elsewhere. We would love if you did those things. It helps us to find more Michigan fans just like you. And with so much now to cover for the next month or so, uh, Sharon Moore's got a coaching staff to fill out. Can he retain the roster, et cetera? Uh, We'll be commenting on all of those updates on Twitter or X. Follow us there at Michigan Podcast in between episodes as well. We love you guys. You guys have done such a great job helping this show grow. It's unbelievable. We've got only a couple more months left in our seventh year doing this show. My, how time flies. So thank you guys so very much. We love and appreciate all of you. What a great time to be a Wolverine. Until next week, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.